we ate on a dollar a day for a long time. You know, that's the type of people we are. That, that wasn't like in search of a Grammy. That was trying to get to Florida the next day. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it was, those goals were never in mind. Like we were never taught how to do this. But I think the last, the last five or six years have been really, it's, I think having that success is actually what opened our eyes to a lot of it. And went, oh, you know, we are doing this together. Um, yeah, I feel really lucky to have done it with fellow Alaskans too. Yeah, like that—that that feels yeah. really, really good. Feels really cool to come from a place where, like, how many people played the type of music that we played in Wasilla, Alaska? Like, we literally have like the, you know, the three people. <laughs> <laughs> that we're into exactly that type of music yeah. so it's it's interesting in that way you know because you can look at bands like like chili peppers or u2 or whoever it is they, they come from music scenes we didn't come from a music scene that was john gorley of portugal the man he grew up in trapper creek alaska living close to the land his parents ran the iditarod a thousand-mile-long sled dog race through some of the most treacherous conditions in the world. It takes skill, endurance, and fortitude. For John, it's a lot like being in a band. But instead of trying to make it to Nome, they're trying to make it to their next gig. It's its own endurance race that really only considers the present. It's a lifestyle that lands somewhere between frugality and stardom between spending a dollar a day on food in their leaner times and performing at Red Rocks and Radio City in times of prosperity. It's been a journey that was never about winning a Grammy or critical acclaim. It was always about the music. John says that when he writes music, he thinks of snowboarding, of cliffs, jumps, rollers and powder. Hatcher Pass, the mountains John grew up hiking and riding, is in his rhythm and his lyrics. That association is intuitive for him. Simply put, throwing yourself off a cliff or off a jump is like throwing yourself into music and performing. Sometimes you lose and sometimes you win. But you learn from your failures and you're buoyed by your wins. And it's in those winning moments that give you the strength and the reassurance to continue. Like snowboarding or like the Iditarod, there are always going to be struggles. But it's how you work through those struggles that define you. This new album, Chris Black Changed My Life, was marked by struggle and uncertainty. Three band members went to rehab. John broke his jaw. Their good friend Chris Black passed away. And John and Zoe's daughter, Frances, was diagnosed with DHDDS a rare neurodegenerative disease. It's been a lot, and navigating it is ongoing. The three who went to rehab are doing much better now, and John's jaw is on the mend. Chris has missed and thought about often. And after an exhausting amount of research, Francis is in treatment. So here he is, John Gorley. <laughs> Welcome to Chattermarks, 
a podcast of the Anchorage Museum. Dedicated to exploring Alaska and the circumpolar north. Through the creative and critical thinking of ideas. Past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. This first question comes from Mitchell Hansen. What do you remember about the Church Mouth release show? Whoa, all the way back. (laughs) And the Church Mouth release show. And they they made a note that it happened at the millennium i know i know where it happened yeah. okay <laughs> i was gonna say that's pretty funny um yeah uh, music millennium or music millennium yeah club millennium yeah um yeah i remember it being really sweaty it, it was so just so fun to be back i mean this is like really really early on in mm-hmm. in this band's career and i think still like just i mean we've never left i mean we're it's it's funny like us existing in a space that's not alaska Mm -hmm. because i I feel like it's something that only alaskans can understand uh alaskans are just forever that person Mm -hmm. you know we've traveled around and like as much as we've traveled it's so funny like we end up in a place and We've ended up around other Alaskans so many times where you're mm-hmm. just like, you never know what you're going to get, but Alaskans stick together. Yeah. <laughs> and I've like straight up gotten in fights on tour because <laughs> it, uh, dude's Alaskan. Like, I I guess I'm on his side, even though I disagree with everything <laughs> that's coming out of his mouth right now. I guess we are getting, yep, we are in a fight. Like that, That's what's happening. Yeah. Uh, it's just the way Alaska works. It, it coming back home to play shows, it's always been so important to me. And this is the very beginning of everything for us. So that time is is extremely special because we only have the gear that we have, and we're bringing it with us. Like we just brought the gear that we had. We used the lighting that we had. We it, everything was so simple at that time. Mm-hmm. They, I, I think one of my biggest re- regrets as the band has grown is that we we allowed things to become overly complicated. Mm, okay. I guess, and this this like predates the complications of like, I, I guess we can't really ship all of our stuff back home, and and just touring as much as we did and as as much as we do like getting back there and really having time and space to work. Mm-hmm. had been difficult for a long time it's it's like one of the things that coming into this new album i just wanted to shift mm-hmm. and i mean we're, we're gonna pop up at some point that i mean hopefully still this year and and do just like a week of shows where we just pop around and we just play places mm-hmm. um that's the thing that i miss the most about alaska i mean d- d- that and alaskans yeah, like I, I love Alaskans, man. Like this is where I come from. This is why we do everything we do. Is that sense of community, that sense of friendship, like that drive, that work ethic, like everything that I grew up on in Alaska is what has carried us. 
Yeah, it seems like there's always a drawback. You know, it, you can feel it like in your heart, in your soul, in your gut, in your mind that Alaska is just kind of calling you back. And I don't know what it is. You know, maybe it's just the spirit of Alaska. It's the, um, it's maybe just the element that, like, maybe there's a part of Alaska in all of us that that wants to bring us back there. And I've felt it ever since I was a kid and I would travel to snowboard and I'd always feel like, oh, this is nice. You know, California's nice. Washington's nice. Uh, Colorado's nice. You know, all, all of these different places are, they're all great, but they're not Alaska. Yeah. Well, you know, Alaska is like a safe place. I mean, hey, uh, the hard-ass Alaskans, you have a safe space, all right? And it is called Alaska. <laughs> yeah. And as long as you're there, nothing can touch you. Nothing can hurt you. And you feel hard, you know? You feel, mm -hmm. like, connected to something. Yeah. And that that's the thing that I, I've always felt is I've never fit in outside of Alaska. I'm just a born-and-raised Alaskan kid. Mm -hmm. And you'll always be that. And, and there, you're always like in search of that thing that's over the next mountain. You're mm -hmm. always in search of that. You know, how do I grab onto that? Like, how do I find that? You know, yeah. you're always like searching for something. And whether it's like the next meal or going to get water from the lake so you can boil it and take a bath mm -hmm. tonight. Yeah. Yeah, you grew up like that. You really did, right? Like you... You had parents who were dog mushers. You, um, you were out in the valley. That's a lot different than growing up in Anchorage, where I'm from. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because like, okay, so I've been in this band for <laughs> two decades now. We've played in this band. <laughs> yeah. And we went out to Kakanak, and it's something that I just, I always took it for granted because it's just the way I grew up. You know, we, we, we lived in a cabin in Trapper Creek. And grew up out Knick, you know, and you, you mm -hmm. kind of take for granted that I always thought every Alaskan grew up this way. Mm -hmm. I always thought every Alaskan grew up like close to the, the village and Alaskan people. And it wasn't until we went up to Kakanak and we were out traveling around and we're, we're riding around on four wheelers and things. And Zach got off the four wheeler at one point and he goes... Oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. Mm, okay. And I'm looking at him like, you've never seen anything like this? <laughs> like, you've never done this? <laughs> and it just, it never clicked for me. Like, oh, you grew up in Wasilla. Like, it, it, we may have like grown up in Kinnick, but we had this whole other existence outside of the Wasilla skate park mm -hmm. and skateboarding crew and all of that the snowboarding and all of the things that we did it was so much different so like even snowboarding like i was hiking up hatchers and building massive booters and just being <laughs> yeah. throwing myself off of things like that's that's <laughs> what we did we would hike we we weren't like park kids we were yeah you know backcountry just the way we rolled yeah and do you feel like, you know, this, I guess this is the, the snowboarder in me that wants to know, um, you know, I know what that's like to go up there with your buddies and build a jump and you have like this pristine landing, at least for, you know, a few runs, 
to to try whatever you want. Do you remember what you were trying? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at the, at the time it was so we're doing rodeos, uh, doubles. I remember the first time Christian Cook did mm-hmm. a double, and that dude just had so much style. That's who I would Incredible. ride with. So Christian and I would go up, and we would ride together every chance we got. That's really the reason I dropped out of school was to snowboard. Hmm, okay. And and we what we would do is because it's dark all day. You you miss the whole day if you don't go up and snowboard. So mm-hmm. we would instead of going to school, we would go up and we'd go build a jump and we would just I mean whatever we could. Like cork like the you know 720 cork. Like we, we would just yeah. be like I'm going to try to do it cuz I saw it on a on a snowboard video. Yeah. And it was everything like we would just do that and i feel so privileged to have watched somebody like christian snowboard my whole life because it it gave me this idea like so when i write music i think about snowboarding Mm, it's that is where pocket is to me like the feel of the song you know where does it all exist it's in this like this weird space of like surfing between the beat okay so it's like hitting like a really nice transition to me is really landing the pocket of a song and i i i've always thought about songwriting as snowboarding mm-hmm. and it, it is essentially throwing yourself off the cliff too yeah you know you i want to i'm gonna go off that and i'm gonna see if i can see if i can stick it you know yeah no that's great that's um I wonder how common that is for people who grow up with a sport. And I guess for us, it was snowboarding because I think of things the exact same way. When I put together audio and um, and music, I'm thinking of that. I'm thinking of like where a certain beat would hit when you would land a trick or you would take off from a jump. You know, that those are cues for me and somehow they translate to audio. Yeah, they do. A hundred percent. I, you know, every time I say it to people, people, people nod along and they go, yep, totally. (laughs) And I know that there's just something about being in it. Yeah. There's something about that flow and finding really great flow. I mean, hockey is the same way too. Like it just flowing in and out of defensemen. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think sports like that 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 in, in, in involve a lot of like movement and style and i mean just these these feelings that you get when you stick it mm-hmm. is it's just always been super important to me i think i think about that beat i watch the like what do those rollers look like mm-hmm. that i'm hitting right now you know it's consistently this could it be that you know yeah like take it a little bit further, be a little bit lazier, land on on the bottom of the transition and pop off the next one, you know? Yeah. Oh man, that's so great. I even go as far as, you know, if I'm driving around or even walking around and my wife Carrie will 
just look at me and give me kind of a side glance when I do this, but I'll even like use my middle finger and my index finger as like, those are legs, you know? And I'll be like, if I see a kinked rail, like in town or a city or whatever, I'll, I'll like start riding down it, you know? Cause that's like how my brain works. You know, my, my fingers are like a snowboarder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know how many, how much of this countryside around the world that I have ridden <laughs> in my mind? Yeah. yeah Just as you I drive bet. around the country, you're going, Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> that looks nice yeah i've snowboarded the world have you thought about how you guys would have reacted to fame you know the amount of fame you received after feel it still if you received it earlier in your careers oh a hundred are you kidding dude <laughs> if that was our first record i'd be like yeah i told you <laughs> i knew it i knew i could do that it, it, of course i don't see how anybody deals with that stuff Mm -hmm. on record number one yeah and we have this like pretty unique situation where we dealt with it on record number eight mm -hmm. and i mean if i'm being perfectly honest i mean i'll tell you a little bit about where the band comes from mm -hmm. and what got us going i mean i went to shows at gigs mm -hmm. i um so i saw a lot of like i said the jesus lizard at gigs awesome um Unsane, a, a, a bunch of shows, you know, whatever goth thing was happening in the 90s. I saw yeah. that. <laughs> uh, went to every single show I could. And they were expensive. You know, so I always kind of figured, I don't know, I didn't really put it together until I left the state. So I saw like big shows, Metallica, mm -hmm. Pantera. Pantera mm -hmm. was my first concert at the Sullivan Arena. And when I, when I first came down to Portland, I, I remember seeing a band. You know what's crazy is I don't even remember the name of the band because I was seeing so many shows. Yeah. I was just like, came down here to visit Zach. And I, I was just going to shows every single day. And the thing that clicked for me is I saw a $3 show with $10 t-shirts and maybe 20 people in the audience. And this is a band that I listened to. Mm-hmm. And it, it really stood out to me as, oh, my God, you guys don't make any money. <laughs> and that was that's honestly what made me want to play music. Really? Was watching this and going, oh, my God, you guys don't make any money. Oh, my God, you don't need money to make music. Wow. Like, I, I, I want to learn how to screen print and I want to learn how to do these things. And, you know, I want to I want to take it to a. It, I want to take it out mm -hmm. and I just want to travel like the whole thing was like initially I just wanted to travel I learned how to screen print we bought a minivan and a, a rice cooker mm -hmm. and this it, it reminded me so much of living in the woods yeah I got a rice cooker I, I can get a bag of vegetables every day for a dollar the whole band can eat this we're getting vegetables we're getting rice we're good and we would screen print our own shirts and we would make no money. I mean, there was no goal in, in, in this band's mind. It was, let's just go travel around much like we did, much like I did growing up, mm -hmm. you know, watching my dad prep for the Iditarod is the way it felt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going out and the next show and, oh, the next show got canceled. It's cool. Like. We'll print some shirts for some kids. Like I used to print over top of other band shirts 
That's, that, that was like our whole thing at the beginning of the band, which is so Alaskan too. It's like, yeah, yeah let me just like, it, it, just so you know, the Lords of Portland is also the most Alaskan thing. I see it pop up every now and then where Alaskans talk about it. And they're like, they call themselves the Lords of Portland now. They're not Alaskan. Yo, that is the most Alaskan shit. Like, I'm not even from here. We're the Lords of Portland. And we did it just to to mess with everybody. Like, yeah. yeah like, I mean, I remember the, the outrage here when we did it. Like, because people were like, you can't be the Lords of Portland. You're from Alaska. You, you're Alaskans. Yeah. And we're like, nah, we're the Lords of Portland. <laughs> that, that's ours. You know, that's that's Alaskan shit. Yeah. Like don't don't get it twisted. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. Yeah, so so there was no I- intent to to become like to I mean maybe win a Grammy because you don't understand what a Grammy is until mm-hmm. you have a song like that then you go like, "Oh, that's what a Grammy is." Like that's yeah. how you actually get a Grammy. It's Yeah, you you hit these like we were thinking like maybe one day we'll get like art or something you know maybe we'll get nominated for for artwork or our producer will get nominated but yeah i I think the grammy situation for us was just really interesting because we we didn't expect it to happen in that way we didn't expect to be nominated in a pop category You know, we didn't expect to be, I mean, that song to be so big that it got snubbed by the alternative categories. Mm. You know, we weren't even allowed to be in the alternative category. It was pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, all of this to me seems like it feeds into being Alaskan even more because coming from a place that's so annexed from the rest of the world... I don't know if we have a solid frame of reference for what success on that level looks or even feels like, or even feels attainable. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it didn't feel real when it was happening. I bet. I mean, and again, like that's, that's the beauty of it happening on our eighth album. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're watching it. And one thing that I was told, and this could be totally wrong, but I'm just going to repeat it because... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm Alaskan, dude. Let's we'll just yeah. talk about it as if I I know. Um, <laughs> Lords of Portland, I, I, Lords of Portland, dude. <laughs> um, you know, I was told like when when the song went to pop radio, I mean, just for like some perspective, we we were I think it's the longest running number one at alternative radio. It spent mm. twenty twenty six weeks at number one. It left the chart for for a week and then popped back. And one week at alter- at pop radio completely wiped out of all the plays we had gotten at alternative radio. Hmm. It was so much bigger. Like you couldn't even comprehend how much bigger that is. So how do you personally feel about fame? We're we're not really famous. Okay. I mean, that's that's kind of like the weird thing about about this band. I actually had talks with, so I, I talked to um, publicists for a while. Like, you kind of go through this thing where you're going like, okay, like, how do we make this band bigger? Like, 
you know, where can we take this? Like, whatever it is. Like, these conversations happen behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And they go, you're going to need a publicist. So I start talking to publicists. And they're all going, like, you know, you kind of live in this, like, you have the best of both worlds. Like, we have a, a big song. Mm -hmm. We're successful. We, we can go to festivals and play really big slots. Like, but we're not really... I mean, it, it freaks me out every time we play because I go, I don't see like online chatter about our band. I'm like, what are you doing sticking us in the Hollywood Bowl and Red Rocks and Radio City? <laughs> and then we go and do it. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people here. Yeah. We have this weird, like really special base that is extremely cool and like up on this stuff. And it doesn't put us out in front of people. I mean, one of the biggest jokes around Feel It Still taking off was the amount of people saying, who's, who's the girl that sings that song? <laughs> you know, like that, that was like a really big thing around this band was people want to know who the girl was that sings the song. And it, it just, again, perspective is like, oh, you don't even know who we are. Like, who's, who sings that? I don't know who sings it. Oh, it's Portugal Demand. Portugal Demand? <laughs> I don't know who that is, you know, it, it's like a really kind of great thing. Yeah. You know, it, we also are pretty lucky to grow up in places like Alaska and live in a place like Portland who mm -hmm. are so nonchalant about things. <laughs> like, you know, try telling an Alaskan that you have a Grammy. Yeah. They're like, yeah, cool. You ready to go to work? We got a house to build. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got you work know, to like do. that's like whatever. Like nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that. Like, everybody has just maintained that attitude. You know, when I, when I run into Alaskans with a, like, an ego, mm -hmm. that's, like, that's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Like, when I run into those fools who are like, well, that's the head of whatever construction company. You're like, who? Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? They build houses. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they're developers? Okay. Which is why I think it was so great at the Grammys when Zach said, you know, we're from Alaska and I'm paraphrasing cause I don't have it right in front of me, but you know, we're from Alaska. We look up to Iditarod mushers and man, did I love that. Yeah. You know, we, so they were sitting there, they were writing out this thing and it was like, Oh, going down the list of Atlantic records and, and all these people that, that have, have been so influential to us and have done mm -hmm. so much for us. But I was looking at it, and I was like, hey, Zach, can, can we take a step back real quick and look at this? Like, we're not here because of any of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, we're here because of this. We're here because I want to see what's over the next mountain. I, we're here because can I run that 1,000-mile sled dog race? Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's what the Grammys were to me. And, yeah, right it was like right before we went out, I was like, Let's rewrite this. This this is this is important, and I, we might not ever get that opportunity again. Mm -hmm. Do you have any moments you go back to to regain your equilibrium? I guess kind of like in Happy Gilmore, where in times of stress or frustration, he goes to his happy place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we we have those. I I think going back to Alaska is like, that's like the recharge for me. 
Okay. Okay. And you know, if I'm being again perfectly honest, and I will be very candid in in speaking to you, Alaskans can see through that. I understand this. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. There's going back home has always been that thing for me. Like I need to go back to Alaska. I need to, you know, for, for the longest time I would get back home and my dad and brother would wake me up no matter what time I got home. Mm -hmm. They would wake me up and they'd say, Hey, you ready to go to work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would get up and I would go to work with them. Yeah. And, and that, that's what really kept me going through all of this. Like it's, Coming back home and knowing that, well, somebody's got to get up and go to work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and, and, and understanding that and just always treating things in that way, always treating people in that way, always being aware that somebody is doing something to help you do your job better. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to forget because you don't always see them. Yeah. But com coming back home to me, that, that, that always did it. That was always like the thing that brought me back down. And I mean, I, I love that. Like you have a Grammy. That's great, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, How nice. Yeah. Uh, that must be cool, dude. <laughs> and you go to work and that's, that's just the way, the way it's been. And I, I really ap appreciate that. Yeah. I remember when I moved back to Alaska after college and my parents were like, oh, your sister has your old room, so you can have the mud room. And so I slept in our mud room for probably like a year. And every day, you know, the mud room is right across from the garage in my parents' old house. And my dad wakes up really early and he's, he just goes straight to work. You know, whatever he's doing, he's he's got to make it work. And so... I'd be sleeping, I sleep with a pillow over my head, and every morning like clockwork, he would come down, I could hear him sipping his coffee, and then he'd just stand next to the bed. And just like and he he just knew that I was awake under those pillows. And he's like, You ready to go to work? You know, and so I I know what that's like to to constantly have your life framed around work because I don't know, I feel like that's how so many of us grow up. Yeah, you know, so like I, th this is not a political statement I'm making right now, but <laughs> it, it is something that I've noticed and I notice it a lot in Wasilla and I think it's silly. And if I'm going to be even more blunt, it's stupid. Um, <laughs> people work. Yeah. And something that I see pop up often is I saw it pop up once. Um those doctors probably don't even know how to change the oil in their truck. You know, like it, I, I saw that pop up once and I went, man, are we forgetting about community? Mm -hmm. That's one thing that Alaskans have that is so on, on the surface. I mean, that's one thing I've always known about growing up in Alaska is the value of community. The fact that you're here, like if I'm driving last time I was home, I did it. I was driving, somebody's in the ditch, I help them out. Mm -hmm. At no point did I think, what an idiot. I mean, maybe I thought they were an idiot <laughs> for ending up in the ditch the way they did, but it, it, at no point was I like, I'm better than that person. Yeah. Because I know at some point, 
I might need somebody to get me out of the metaphorical ditch mm -hmm. up here, you know, because it could be anything, you know, it could be stuck in the woods. I need a sleeping bag, like whatever it is. Yeah. That's one, one thing about Alaskans that I think is so powerful and forgetting that we all do different things in these communities. I mean, you, you can't ever forget that. Mm -hmm. It exists because there is a doctor that lives out in that village. Mm -hmm. That's the doctor for the village. You know, they might not know how to go, like, get the seal, but they know how to help you if you cut yourself or break something while you're getting that seal. Mm -hmm. And I think I think it's a really important thing that, again, is is having traveled everywhere in this country and in this world community is so important mm -hmm. and it's a value that has been instilled in me through alaska you know growing up in alaska i saw it every single winter the need for community so speaking of community and i, I guess i wasn't even really going to ask this this was kind of like my leftover questions but it it seems to really fit here you guys have your own subreddit. Who manages that? Uh, it's some Reddit kids. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so like I, I think maybe we have one of the moderator spots. But for the most part, it's... I mean, that's the, the beauty of Reddit mm -hmm. to me. I mean, there's like ups and downs and everything. But as far as like understanding community... I, I think Reddit is a really, really great place to start mm -hmm. because you see everybody there. You see the like snarky, like uh, I can't think of a nice word for them, uh, but they have <laughs> a lot of opinions about yeah. what you're doing and they will check you and they feel the need to check you when they think you took a wrong turn or you said the wrong thing or whatever it was. Yeah. I think I find value in that. I find value. I find I get I gain growth from that. Yeah. You know, if 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 I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to expose myself too much, but I learned so much when I moved down to Portland to start touring. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, the only reason we left was to tour. Like, we just wanted to travel. I wanted to run the Iditarod. You know, I'm just like comparing the two things is. That's where I wanted to be. I wanted to, like, what's my adventure? Mm -hmm. Like, what's, what's the thing that's, like, what's my mountain? What's my race? Like, what's the thing yeah. that I need to do? And it ended up being music. And I never thought we'd be able to do this. I never thought I could do it. Again, like, I, dude, I couldn't order my own food until I was, like, 25. <laughs> it, like, I, I was so painfully painfully shy really okay yeah the, the whole thing was like i'm gonna overcome this thing in my way and it's i can't really i still don't publicly speak a whole lot but it, it has been like support of community that maybe want to do it so is it safe to say that you consider yourself an introvert <laughs> yes zoe it's my wife and i are both like pretty uh massive introverts okay and we have the most extroverted daughter you've ever seen oh. of course <laughs> yeah how do you think that that 
introvertedness manifests itself? Uh, it's anxiety. Okay. You know, I have a lot of anxiety about being on stage. I, I, I think a lot about like, how is this perceived? Uh, introverts typically are like observers. Mm-hmm. You know, we sit back and we look at the room. And I tend to look at it from that perspective a lot. Like as if I was watching the room and if I was in the room, the, the greatest thing about being an introvert on stage is I don't feel like I'm on stage. Mm, okay. Like I feel like I'm in a room with a bunch of indoor kids. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my like, yeah, indoor kids. These indoor kids are like internet kids and they've all found this niche where they fit. Yeah. And this thing that they love. And how cool is it that like I play in this band, but I, I, I tend to leave that behind and I just go, this is awesome being in a room full of passionate people about the same thing that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's like like being, I, I consume documentaries, you know, as, as many as I can, because I love seeing people excited about something. Mm-hmm. I love watching people just like pour their heart out about how much that My Little Pony set means to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever it is, like that's, that's what, that's the way I see my, like the introvert manifests itself is I have anxiety, but I, I use that anxiety and I use a lot of that to, to feel like a a part of something that isn't really about me. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, again, maybe that's Alaskan, the Alaskan in me who's, who's going, it's not really about me at those shows like it's about the experience like shows are about the experience yeah and the shared experience i feel like that's a good name for a band the indoor kids (laughs) the indoor kids yes (laughs) i I said that to jack harlow once and he was like busting up i was like indoor kids do you not know what that is i feel like i came up with that term as an alaskan like Oh, those are indoor kids, you know, like <laughs> those are the Wasilla kids. Like they don't really go outside the same way. Something I read about you in reference to you being an introvert is that you used to perform with your back to the crowd. Yeah, I think it was the, yeah, the first five years of this band, six years, 11 years. You, I'll, I'll tell you something really crazy because just for the sake of like the nerd in me that that's like i can't believe i'm here right now i can't believe we do this the person that changed that is pre bruno mars bruno mars like he came to one of our shows and it's funny like watching like what he's become because i think he had just put out a song with bob like around the world or whatever it was and he He's like kind of known, but he's just a cool kid, shows up at our show, like super confident as Bruno Mars is, and especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, he came to one of our shows and he was like, dude, it was this little time. The show that we played, we played this place called Space 1520. This is the last time I played with my back to the audience. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do it every now and then if I'm like 
feeling anxious or whatever. But it's the last time, like, it was a consistent thing. We're playing this place, Space 1520. It's, like, this outdoor venue at this, like, shop. And I had done this, like, art collaboration. So, like, I, I've done all the art for the band up, up until now. And I've finally graduated to this, like, kind of cool moment where I'm, like, making making art with somebody and I'm collaborating mm -hmm. on this like this wallet design and this like folder and like a few things like back to school things that are really fun and they have us play this show super tight dude there were like people sitting on top of the storefronts okay it was in this like courtyard area and there were people sitting on top of walls and just really packed in Bruno was there with um the president of Atlantic. And that was the thing he said afterwards. He was like, man, I just love what you're doing. I love this music. Uh, love the pedals. Like, oh, it's so crazy. But all I could see was your ass the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of like expressed to me that he didn't feel connected. And at that moment, like, I feel lucky to have had moments like this in my career, just as, as far as the like, dude clearly understands entertainment yeah clearly understands like what it is to be on stage and at that time like he wasn't that but i i i did it as a like yeah this is it's probably time for me to turn around it's probably time for me to like engage in this a little bit more and i, I think it was really a valuable lesson in just confidence. I mean, who knows if that song would have happened if I wasn't like confident enough to turn around and, mm -hmm. you know, feeling, you know, accepted enough to turn around. Yeah. You know, I usually don't even ask these types of questions because I'm more interested in the person that I'm interviewing rather than the people that they're associated with or that they come in contact with. But what's it like being around certain celebrities? You know, we've talked so much so far about being from Alaska and, you know, I guess, like I said earlier, how annexed it is from the rest of the world and also like pop culture, you know, pop culture is something that, exists over there it doesn't exist like in our realm really yeah i i think uh you grow up in alaska and everybody is just who they are you know like mm -hmm. i i think i've definitely been around people that i would never hang out with again <laughs> and that's it's kind of what's carried me through all of this stuff is you know people call it like networking like when you go out networking and it's like, oh, connect with people in your field, you know, like make all these connections. We've never done it in a business sense. Mm. You know, it's like we either like people or we don't. And I think if I appreciate the show, like, I mean, working with Charlie Day is super fun. Mm -hmm. Like the Always Sunny crew is just so like they're nerds, man. And, and I, th I think that's the biggest takeaway that I have from all of this stuff. Like all this, this, this weird, like I grew up the same way. Oh, that's celebrities. Like they don't, the Hollywood, like we don't, they don't understand. And then you get down there and you're like, wait a second, you're nerds. Like you, yeah. we are all just nerds. We really like music. 
hanging out with Weird Al. Like, Weird Al is, like, the nicest person in the world and everything I wanted him to be. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, he's... And more, dude. Like, if I wrote Al right now, he would hit me back within five minutes. That's awesome. And he's, like... He's always so gracious and so cool. And I th I think the people that we hang out with, it's it's safe to say they're generally pretty, pretty rad. Do you have any stories from hanging out with the Always Sunny crew? <laughs> I wouldn't say I really have stories. I, the, the, the main takeaway that I have of all of them that I think is just so funny because... So like I, I like I grew up a fan of comedy and a fan of mm -hmm. just pop culture in general. I think that's it naturally happened like living in a cabin growing up. And it, it came about because we would listen to oldies radio. We would listen to Cool 97.3. Yeah. Just that's all we listened to. We listened to my dad's record collection. Everything's pre-70s that we listened to out there. And my dad had this encyclopedia set. And I, I don't ask me why he lugged this thing around wherever we went, but I would flip through it and there's like pages on recording, you know, and music, music production, yeah. things like that. And I always just thought it was so cool that this thing that happened in London and Detroit, Detroit Sound, mm -hmm. uh, New York, LA, like this stuff ended up in this cabin. You know, it was like this weird connection to the outside world. It like connected everyone through their love of the Beatles, through their love of Motown, Sam Cooke, you know, the, the Supremes, Diana mm -hmm. Ross. It, it kind of crosses all like political boundaries, like, you know, wh wherever things might be divisive, like we all kind of listen to the same thing. I might not know what Born in the USA is about, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Rage Against the Machine. I th I thought I was connecting with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, th I think it's the most interesting thing, the way these people come into our lives and we, f we feel connected to them. So one of the things that I picked up on with, with Always Sunny and, and just as a fan of comedy, like it's it's kind of the way like I would structure a band if I gave any advice to bands. It's exaggerate everything around y your personalities and and know where everybody fits into the group mm -hmm. um they do a really good job like a really good show like a really good comedy group is great at writing for each other mm -hmm. and the always sunny crew are it's so scary how similar they are to their characters <laughs> if, if if they weren't like deplorable people in the show yeah they're at, they're all like super super nice but you can see like when you hang out with them you can see the like little bits of their personalities that they've like blown up to be like the narcissist or the like okay okay the sporty like you know he thinks he's tough and yeah he's been doing jujitsu <laughs> like his whole life he does think he's tough you know Okay. Yeah. And, and and Charlie is such a sweet, like, well-meaning person, and he just played Hollywood Bowl with us. And I I gotta say, like, one of the most gracious people I've I've ever been around, and mm -hmm. just in awe of everything, it reminded me so much of Charlie Kelly on the show. <laughs> Charlie's walking around. He's like, "Wow, I can't believe you guys do this every day. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it." And we're going, Charlie, like, I. 
like you're you've never played in a band he's like i've never played in a band and he's this uh, incredible musician i don't even know how you go through life and high school high school is yeah. essentially like do you play an instrument yeah you want to make a band like if you play an instrument like you're generally starting a band yeah you know at least jamming with your friend and uh yeah just really I, I think that stuff has always been fun. My my favorite experience has been w Weird Al. Mm -hmm. Hanging out with Al to me is like, I remember the first time we did it, it was like 2011, we were doing a Bonnaroo announcement. Mm -hmm. And they asked us if we would, like, they were looking for a band to come and play with Weird Al. And we had done this like prep for Bonnaroo where they kind of, uh, they ask you like, who, who are you excited to see this year? It's part of the Bonnaroo like booklet. Mm -hmm. Weird Al's playing. Well, we want to see Weird Al. Like that is our favorite musician of all time. And I cannot tell you enough how genuine that is. Like, dude, he introduced me to Nirvana. He showed me how to not take yourself too seriously playing music mm -hmm. by taking people's serious songs and making fun of them. Yeah. You know, making it a joke. And that's a lot of the reason the band is the way it is, is Weird Al. And we had just done this thing where we said, I'm excited to see Weird Al. So they asked us if we would do the, the Bonnaroo announcement with Weird Al. And we would oh, play So a, American from our record and Canadian Idiot from his record. So he would back us up and then we would back him up. And... I just remember when he came in, I'm, dude, I was the only person in the room. Everybody had stepped outside for a coffee and Al comes in and I'm just like, oh my God, this is like my <laughs> hero walking into the room. And he was nervous and he was shy and it was immediately like disarming for me like all of my anxiety went away and I went wow this is like you're like me, <laughs> me. Mm -hmm. like you don't know if you should be in this room right now I pretty much always carried myself with a are you sure I should be in this room right now <laughs> Do you remember the first time you listened to a Weird Al song? Oh, yeah. 
for sure the lynch family like our our neighbors up Kinnick, they like christian family they they loved weird out and i th i think it was another one rides the bus and eat it. it it was that record um that we listened to that ironically like Fran it's all francis listens to our daughter mm -hmm. she loves weird Al. but i remember hearing that I remember just wanting to consume more and more of this person who is, it, it's kind of like one of my f earliest memories of listening to something that wasn't um, oldies radio. Mm, okay. Earlier you said that you had records like The Supremes and now it sounds like, you know, Weird Al music as well in your house growing up and to think about how these albums ended up in your house is wild. Have you ever been surprised about where your music has ended up? Yeah, I guess so. Like it, it always, dude, I, I don't know what it is about us. Like we're, we're always surprised when anybody shows up at shows and <laughs> like anything happens with our group. I mean, just to speak on Alaska and Alaskans and, the way we all grew up and i know you grew up this the same like we didn't really mm -hmm. have record stores i mean we kind of kind of did i guess we did in anchorage but we didn't have them okay so like we would wait for like somebody's cousin to show up with the tape that he wanted to share with us hey this is mm -hmm. wu-tang you should listen mm -hmm. to this i mean that was like one that ended up in, in the truck for ever you know, like everybody was a Wu-Tang member. I'm sure Yeah. <laughs> in everybody's group of friends, we all had them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just discovering music. It, it was always skate films. It was snowboarding. It was, you know, that's where we got everything. Mm. What was it like to have one of your songs in Mark Landvik's part? Yeah, you know, it, that that is the the wildest thing to me. Like the things that actually make us like starstruck is when we're like, "Oh my god, you want to use this in your surf film or your snowboarding film or like whatever it is." Like mm -hmm. that's the stuff that makes us feel like, "Wow, I can't believe we made it." Like being around everything else is like, yeah, it's kind of like what you expected. Like I'm just at work today and it's like Ben Stiller's there, whoever's there, like we're, we're all working, you know, mm -hmm. so it, it doesn't feel like that weird, but, uh, it's stuff like that, that like, I mean, dude, every time we've been asked for like snowboarding, surf, skate, it's gratis or as like cheap as we can give it to people. Oh, that's great. Because that's, that's what, that's the reason we do this. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's it's always like dude, there's no budget for these these movies, so we're having to convince people. We're like, you have to give it to them. We will we will not be okay with you not licensing this. <laughs> what has been the response from from I guess the record label from I guess the marketing end of Portugal the man when you're like just give it to them. I, I think people people know us pretty well. Um, people know what we stand for. Like, 
I, I feel lucky to have always like, we've always just presented who we are because that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Like we've never like presented like any less. And I, I think that's, that's been an important part of our success in, in the industry. And like just having relationships in the industry is everybody just kind of knows like if, if they say they want to do it, they're going to do it and that's it. Mm-hmm. So switching gears here a bit, I wanted to talk about the, the struggles that you guys all went through with this new album. Yeah. When you guys are in these tough positions as a band, do you personally talk to anyone about it? Yeah. I mean, if you want to, do you want to talk specifically about, about things? Cause it, it kind of yeah. depends on what it, what it is. For sure. You, you know, it's, it's cause we've had, we've had a few things happen recently and a, a major thing that I can't really speak on. I can't really speak from their perspective, but we've had three members go to, to treat, go into treatment. Um, after, after our first tour back from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So like things were shut down out here in our industry, especially it was just like shut down. We couldn't tour. We couldn't really do anything. We're just home. And it wasn't until we got back out on the road that we realized, oh, something's off. Mm. I don't think we would have realized it if we hadn't taken that break. Because you, you just would have traveled through it. And you would have been like, you, you don't see those like subtle differences day, day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so having that break and coming back, we realized there was like a deeper issue. Mm-hmm. And this had happened during a time where, I mean, just to take you back to Alaska, um, I had I had just broken my jaw um, up at AFN in 2019, and I had this big like kind of like uh, like I'll bring this like full circle what has been happening. But uh, I was back home. I was having issues where my jaw was locking up, and. It, it was just really intense. Like I, my jaw would lock. We're playing shows. I'd have to massage it and get it working again. They gave me these like TMJ tricks for it. Like uh, you just have TMJ. That's what it is. Okay. So I end up coming back home. Uh, we're we're up in Fairbanks, Chena Hot Springs for um, AFN, and my mom and I are sharing this room. And my jaw locks up and I'm massaging it and I just, I go to like kind of push it closed and I get this massive snap. Mm. And so my jaw breaks. I didn't realize it was broken. I just knew I was in like crazy pain Mm -hmm. and I figured something was going on, but we couldn't really do anything for a couple days. So I, I, I finish out our like, you know, our obligations and I go into the doctor and my doctor says, uh, okay, so when did you break your jaw? And I go, oh, you know, I'm hearing for the first time it's broken for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go, oh, I guess it was a, a couple days ago, a few days ago. And he goes, no, when did you, when did you break your jaw? 
And I go, I think it was a couple of days ago. And he, and he shows me the x-ray and he goes, no, this is like an old injury. This is like high school. You broke your jaw. Hmm. And apparently, I mean, dude, you know what it is. Like, we're Alaskans. Like, yeah, <laughs> first of all, I meet other Alaskans. You are probably getting in a fight. <laughs> so yeah. that happens. Snowboarding, dirt bikes, you know, four-wheelers, snow machines, like all the stuff that we did growing up. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know when I broke my jaw, but I had broken my jaw and it ground down over all the years of singing. Like we were playing 300 shows a year at the beginning of this band. So the left side of my jaw got ground down. It's like this really nasty looking point. Mm -hmm. And it's like a third of the size that it's supposed to be. Uh, Just overuse, like using the hell out of my jaw for so long. Yeah. It it just destroyed uh, the the left side of my jaw. And then I broke the right side. And I mean, Honestly, I like I feel pretty lucky that the everything shut down the way it did in my industry mm-hmm. because we played through it. Like I played with a broken jaw for five shows, six shows before it things shut down and I had to go through rehab on my jaw. And this is like another reason like the band kind of like split. I had nobody to really talk to about, I, I couldn't really talk. I mean, mm. that was the thing is like, I couldn't really speak to anybody. And I, man, I laid in bed. I mean, it just being real about it, it, it was really brutal. I bet. We yeah. had these things happening with our daughter. Um, I'm finally home and I get to have as much time as possible with her. Mm-hmm. And I can't because it physically it was it, like it, it hurt so bad whenever like she would come and jump on me mm-hmm. and I, it would just send like waves of pain. It, it was, it was so intense, but I didn't think I'd ever sing again. I, d- I didn't know how long I could be her dad. You know, I didn't know how long I was going to be here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think during the pandemic, I get really, I guess just during the shutdowns, like it really just kind of like pulled the band apart in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think coming out of it all is when we we all started talking. You know, going into having half the band go into treatment was such a a blessing for the group. Mm-hmm. Because you learn skills like, dude, you are like, it's family in every sense of the word. You know, like we sleep on bunk beds across from each other every single day of our lives. Like whatever (laughs) happened yesterday, it's happening today. And it's Mm -hmm. happening the second you roll out of that bunk. So it's just it's a weird lifestyle. But it's also a very Alaskan lifestyle if... If I'm comparing it to living in a cabin with dog handlers and, you know, people around, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say like it's it's weirdly like you're closer than you can ever be to anyone and also like can can feel distant at the same time. I wonder if you talk about 
Alaska as much as we've been talking about it. You know, I feel like I've asked a few questions about Alaska, but then you also circle back around to it a number of times so far in this conversation. Are you that same way when, say, you're not talking to an Alaskan? Yeah. Like, it's all I know. Like, it's it's so weird to me because I think about my dad. You know, I think about my my parents, both both my parents. I mean, my mom moved up. My dad moved up, like, basically right out of high school. Uh, They are Alaskans. Mm. You know, my whole family, like, that is just like they are Alaskan as hell. Like, that is as Alaskan as you can be. Mm hmm. And I can't imagine another place making such an impact on someone. You know, Alaska, it's just a different place. And I always, I do circle back to it quite a bit with with folks. Um, And at the very least, think about it a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I I know that's, I mention the community thing a lot because community means so much in Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's literally life and death. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but and, and it is like if if you're an Alaskan, but if you're not yeah, an Alaskan coming up there, like it can. Yeah, yeah. You know that's that's why community has meant so much to me. I've I've talked about it a lot, like especially when people are so divided on so many things. It's like you know it's not like that where we grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I use that a lot when I'm I'm discussing social issues with people. I'm like, you know, like we kind of like need each other, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. You know. So how is everyone in the band doing now? Are you all back to being a unit or is there some shrapnel left over? <laughs> I think there's always going to be some like... <laughs> Some, some things going on. I mean, dude, you get thrown into into a van. You don't know how to handle that. There's no adults in the room. Yeah. I mean, you can have a manager. Like, you could have all these things. Like, there are no adults in the room. And you're kind of forced to, to be the adult for the first time and just kind of understanding how to handle that and what does that mean. And there's something about taking that path like you you're reckless people you're people who think it's like at all costs like that's why we're here Mm -hmm. you know we want to get to the next city at all costs you know it we ate on a dollar a day for a long time you know that's the type of people we are that that wasn't like in search of a grammy that was trying to get to florida the next day (laughs) yeah so it, it it was those goals were never in mind like we were never taught how to do this but i think the last the last five or six years have been really it's i think having that success is actually what opened our eyes to a lot of it mm. and went oh you know we are doing this together um yeah i feel really lucky to have done it with fellow alaskans too yeah like that that feels really really good feels really cool to come from a place where like how many people played the type of music that we played in wasilla alaska like we literally have like the 
you know, the three people <laughs> that, that were into exactly that type of music. Yeah. So it's it's interesting in that way, you know, because you can look at bands like like Chili Peppers or U2 or whoever it is. They, they come from music scenes. We didn't come from a music scene. Mm -hmm. If it's okay with you, I have a few questions about your daughter, Frances. Yeah, love to. So you and your wife learned about her condition in 2017, correct? Uh, no, it was it was it was 2021. Okay, okay. When, when we when we learned that she, so so what had happened was, um, so around three years old, she, uh, three or four years old, she was having some difficulties in 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 school, like preschools, and you just kind of could tell. You know, there's there's mm. something a little bit different going on. She's super funny, super fun, but she's got some things going on. And we started doing occupational therapy for her and like just things like, you know, just dexterity and uh, muscle building and, and things. And they noticed a mm. tremor there. And she has a slight tremor. Um, okay, we, we didn't really see it a lot. They saw it more. Um, fast forward like, through the years and around tw 20, 2021, 2022, she starts, um, having seizures and she started having seizures. Like really, it felt like out of nowhere. Um, hmm. cause we, we popped out to play a show and she stayed with one of her teachers and, um, they said, you know, she fell down a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was. And then it turned into, you know what? I, th I think, I think she, I saw her eyes flutter. I think she's having seizures. Mm -hmm. And again, things are shut down at this point. So like we um, we're doing these like little one-off shows and it's, it's like really sparse. So we have time to sit down. Zoe decides to document everything. And she starts taking videos of Francis and she starts seeing okay, that's a seizure. It's an absent seizure. And these things often get misdiagnosed as like behavioral uh, because she like zones out for a minute. So you're like, hey, Francis, hey, Francis, hey, Francis. Mm -hmm. And uh, she finally snaps back and she goes, oh, hey. You know, and it, mm -hmm. it looks like she's just not paying attention. It's, it's not that, apparently. She's been having seizures. We take her in, and of course, when you take her in to the doctor to, to get all the tests done, she doesn't have one. And, I mean, I, like, I'm so impressed with Zoe staying, like, hyper-vigilant and mm -hmm. uh, just really on top of just taking those videos mm -hmm. and, 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 and really, like, just watching Francis so closely because we, we got her in and they finally see the seizures. I mean, she went from having like a, a couple of seizures a day to hundreds. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it, it went really quickly. It's, it's one of the scariest things okay. about what she has. And what we eventually, eventually learn is epilepsy caused by DHDDS, which is a neurodegenerative disease. So like you think about like dementia or Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. uh, but it's in a kid. And Parkinson's isms, like tremors. Um, 
uh, like inability to like gain muscle in in her core. So mm -hmm. she has a few of these things that are like it, it's it's pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. But it it was heavier not knowing what the hell it was. Yeah. You know? Like we got told it was DHDDS when we finally get the they said we we should we should do genetic testing. They do the testing and they say, "Oh, she has DHDDS." Uh, we'll set you up with a doctor to uh, explain to you what EHDDS is. Mm -hmm. And it took six months to get in with a doctor. And it was it was so intense. Like this stuff is like really trying for for parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's really stressful on everyone. Yeah. And it was just this moment of like learning learning about dhtds after like just reading the papers that we could find mm -hmm. she's one of six kids with her specific mutation mm. in the world like there's there's a couple kids in china and a couple in italy mm -hmm. and we can't get a hold of their parents the thing that we have found recently is there's a few families with DHDDS. I think there's 70 and potentially like a couple hundred cases. And this is like the future of genetic testing. And why I would stress like the importance of genetic testing. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't ready, readily available when she was a kid. I think one of the, the, the scariest things I look at is she can't use gene therapies because she's too, too old now. Okay. Um, the chances of it taking like once they're like too big is um it's harder so we're going after these like aso treatments and drug repurposing and we're really trying to raise funds right now to uh to help further the science to help further the research to lower the cost for families in the future because these these things like it doesn't matter where you are like i mean healthcare system and all this stuff aside they don't even have a treatment for it. Mm, okay. So we're, we're kind of desperately trying to find the treatment for her just to pro, you know, kind of like give her a little bit more time, you know? Mm -hmm. And how do you guys go about trying to find that treatment? Uh, it's, it's through a lot of different avenues right now. Um, we have Wendy Chung, at at the um boston's boston um i think she's at harvard um working out there um there's there's drug repurposing we're actually working with a foundation now called n lorem which like any families like dealing with something like this like apply to n lorem or similar foundations n lorem mm -hmm. has been extremely helpful there's still a ton of costs you know, the, the craziest thing to me is like, I mean, where we started this conversation, like the band has had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. You know, we should. I, I remember when we got the diagnosis and we were talking about it like, OK, well, tell us what we need to do. We'll sell the house, uh, sell publishing, like whatever we need to do. And mm -hmm. the doctor said, it's not that easy. It's so much money that that doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to find the foundations like N. Lorem, 
that want to allow your kid to apply and want to help, you know, and, and see an avenue for help, yeah. see a way that they can, they can help her. So I'm optimistic that we found a place that wants to take her on. There's still a, t a ton of costs. I just couldn't believe that we couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about the average family when I hear things like that. Like, if I can't afford it, what do you mean? Like, how do people afford this stuff? And that's what started mm -hmm. this whole journey of we need to find a way to, like, lower the costs for people. You know, yeah. we've got we've to make this accessible. Yeah. I know these issues are ongoing, but when you're in it, when you're faced with the most difficult parts of your daughter's illness, how do you find your way back to the light? <laughs> She's funny, man. You know, I, I think one of the I'll give you like some like really candid stuff and and say that DHDDS is is scary in a like future sense and it, it moves quickly. I mean, anybody that's dealt with dementia knows this. Mm -hmm. It's it's scary the way it happens. I get thinking about the future is, is really tough. But there, there's like another component component of this that I, I want everybody to understand because genetic testing is fairly new and it's fairly recent that we're able to like pinpoint these like rare one of six diseases. Mm -hmm. But part of DHDDS is it, it affects her ability to regulate emotion. So... I mean, she's like this really bright. She's so funny and she's so excited to see people. I mean, she came out on stage with us and like I said, like total extrovert, like mm -hmm. such a weirdo, like so fun. <laughs> she comes out on stage and she's like waving to people. She was like saying things to folks. She's like, if you have love in your hearts, remember your parents love you. And she's like giving these speeches and then singing with us. And then oh, breaking great. off and giving little speeches. And she has trouble with this stuff. And, you know, she, she's not a tip, the typical kid, you know. She's, mm -hmm. she's different for sure. And she starts doing this thing where she's, like, shouting out of the crowd. She's going, I see you. I see you. Hey, hey, I see you. And she's, like, waving to people. <laughs> and it was like being at a hardcore show with her like just like i see you i see you like that's why we're yeah. at the hardcore show because you see me like i feel you you know she she was yeah. giving that and like that's what makes it so like that that's what keeps us going mm -hmm. is like she's funny dude like she is so fun and she's so sweet but yeah that component of dhdds just to like make everybody aware is she can't regulate emotions. So just imagine like the flip side of that too. Like when the answer is no, <laughs> like, the typical kid is like, what do you mean? No, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like it's, it is crushing for like the average kid and to not be able to regulate emotion. I, I end up thinking a lot about like houseless populations I think a lot about like mental health and mental illness in communities and just taking a, a second to stop and think about what people are going through. Not, not just like uh, emotionally or, 
like in their personal lives and things like that that's good to do mm -hmm. but mentally and psychologically like you don't know genetically you, you don't know what they're dealing with and i'm watching mm -hmm. a kid who is so loving and so sweet and so stoked to see you and i see her go through moments of that mm -hmm. and i watch her break down in tears afterwards because she she's a good kid you know she she comes out of that stuff sometimes and she's like i'm so sorry i can't control my emotions sometimes mm. and she doesn't even know that that's a part of her disease mm -hmm. it's something that she just says and that's like pretty crushing to me yeah and but it yeah. does it does make me really take pause and go I, th I think there's a lot more of these people than you realize. Mm -hmm. And there's more people like you out there. Like, we're all one of six. You know, there's a lot of one of six. And I think that's what makes us human and what makes us so unique. And it's a, I think it's a really beautiful thing having your eyes open to something like this. And it's really mm -hmm. been in the last, like, year that it's like, Okay, we have the diagnosis we kind of understand it now and oh my god it is so much to take in mm -hmm, i bet yeah when you're talking to her you know what you just said we're all one of six it sounds like you have some pretty great things to say to her do these things just come to you or do you spend time thinking about it oh i think about it all the time Okay. I mean, before we knew what, what it was, it's all I could think about. I mean, it's easy to look at like our, our Instagram and our, and our TikToks and our socials and go like, oh, they just have fun all day long. Mm -hmm. like, every single day when I get in my bunk, like I don't sleep. I, I think about Frances. I think about who she is and who she could be and what does her future look like? And is she okay? Like, How's she feeling? Cause she she can't express it. Like her she has a her vocabulary is different, you know. Like she's she is a spectrum kid too. Like there's there's like learning delays, and she doesn't know how to tell you that. And she she just knows how to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's really I, just being her parent and watching her like show up around other people and talk to other people and see how other people react to her mm -hmm. it's it's so fun it's also difficult though because you like i see her around other kids and kids don't really know how to take her sometimes because okay. she's different yeah you know she's really outgoing and i i feel really lucky we had, we we found this like really great uh special needs school in uh in oregon and they do some really great stuff with kids like francis and i'm excited to see how she does in that space yeah yes middle school is a thing that freaks me out the most <laughs> we, we play middle schools it's like yeah. we've played middle schools and dude it brings me back every single time when we do it because <laughs> you go fifth grade cool Everybody wants to dance. Sixth grade, yep, still still dancing. Seventh grade is like the cutoff. 
that's when that's when all those kids you look out and their arms are crossed yep, they're sitting yep. there and they they don't know how to carry themselves and they're awkward and you know some of that is like they're finding their own music they're fi- figuring out who they are you know they're embarrassed by things for the first time mm-hmm. i i'm that's the part that i i worry about my kid with because every parent does francis doesn't know how to take it you know Mm. so yeah i used to substitute teach and what i quickly learned is that there are teachers who can absolutely teach middle school and then there are teachers who just can't and you know i i um i think that a good way to describe it is if you think you're doing something cool and you want to go talk to a, you know, a school class, a middle school class to be specific in the situation, um, they'll show you that they don't really care and they'll humble you real quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite part about doing it. It's like, I know you guys think you're really cool right now and this is not cool. Um, I think that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Because I get it. I get it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay. So I know we're running out of time or even completely out of time, but I just have a few more questions about the new album. It's called Chris Black Changed My Life. Can you tell me why you guys chose that name? Yeah. So I, I was I was writing this album and I, I mean, I'll just writing songs is it's kind of ridiculous dude like you just okay you let it come out it's it's the way it works like you just it's stream of consciousness it's imagine all the people well it's easy if you try mm-hmm. you know it's it you're going from like word to word and it's word association and there was just a point in in making this record that i realized like Oh, I guess I've been writing about us this whole mm. time. I've been writing about like our journey. And there were so many heavy things happening. Like I wrote Times of Fantasy the the night that we got Francis's diagnosis. Mm-hmm. The night that I was reading what DHDDS is without anybody to break it down for me. Without anybody to tell me like, yeah, well, these are like the worst case scenarios, which everybody should know when you get on the internet to diagnose anything. Like, mm-hmm. it's scary. <laughs> you know, yeah, everything yeah. is the end of the world. Yeah. I, I was writing about this and it just brought me to a place where I was just thinking about the people who changed our lives. For the band, it was Chris Black. Chris was our friend who's such an idiot and so fun and so funny and he he passed away in 2019 he had had like this heart condition that he never told us about so that's that's just the type of person chris is mm-hmm. you know of course like he would never burden anybody with that but he made us all laugh so much like he the the first time he really came out with us we just we always looked for an excuse to hang out with chris we'd be like Hey, there's there was a corporate event. They want they want you guys to come up and play some songs, and and I said okay. 
can we bring our friend Chris to DJ? Chris doesn't have a job. <laughs> this is also the type of person Chris is. <laughs> he, he does not have a job. And I think I can get you some money through this corporation to, to come and DJ with us. He's that friend who shares music with you too, who's just like, it's, it's so fun. You know, this is the yeah. reason we play music. It's because one of my friends said, hey, have you ever heard Minor Threat? Well, you have now. Like, you should mm -hmm. listen to yeah. this. He was that dude in our group of friends. So I, I always wanted to be around just just so I could hear his playlist. Mm -hmm. I could be like, okay, cool. Like, that's what you're listening to. OT Genesis. Okay. That's what we listen to. Mm -hmm. he, he was just fun. So we, we played this, this corporate event. I have Chris come up. He's got a microphone sitting in front of him for his set. He doesn't leave. I mean, he, he's so funny. Like, dude, just like, he DJs, we get on stage, and he just sits up there. He just stays at his DJ booth while we're playing. Like, he's just <laughs> sitting back there, and he turns on the microphone at one point, and he just goes, wow, can you believe we are here together? Did you hear that guitar? I can't believe it. And he's just doing stuff to make us laugh. Yeah. You know, it was so stupid and it was so like, but it, it, it immediately gave me like these, like, it's happy Mondays. Mm -hmm. It's, it's Bez. You know, it's your friend who's just there to dance. It's Danny Warhols, mm -hmm. you know, or, or Brian Jonestown Massacre. It's, I have a friend who plays tambourine and kind of like lightens the mood on tour. Mm -hmm. He kind of like stepped in with this, like, as a person with anxiety, he took all of that stress and pressure off of me in that That's moment. Great. He came into the band and where there were some like riffs at the time, he pointed out how ridiculous it was. <laughs> and he checked everybody. Yeah. He, he was like, what? Like, you don't think this is funny? You know, like he, he would do things <laughs> like that where you'd just be like, I cannot help but laugh because nobody can take you seriously, dude. You know, like he, he was that for us. So like for the yeah. band, Chris Black changed our lives as a band. He was just carefree and fun, pointing out how stupid it was, pointing out hypocrisy, pointing out how funny things can be and how great this opportunity is. And I wish I had the chance to say that to him more while he was here. You know, he was such a fun dude. And for me and Zoe, it's Francis. Like mm. Francis changed our lives. For other people, it's someone else. And the whole point is to talk about people who changed our lives. You know, isn't that why we're here? Yeah. To acknowledge like the folks around us and give credit and again to take this back to the beginning of the conversation no at no point can you feel like you did this mm -hmm. at no mm -hmm. point can i look at that grammy and be like yup i did that mm -hmm. no my parents did that because we hung out and listened to mr postman in the dog truck on on the drive to get groceries on the ride to the race you know like, i didn't do that and you know what? The Marvelettes didn't do that either. Mm -hmm. You know, we all did that. Community did that. That experience did that. That postman did that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's like where all this stuff comes from. And like ownership of, over things is boring to me. That's so boring to, for to hear somebody talk about something that they did that's fully original. It's not. It all comes from something. It all comes from an experience. It all, and you know what? It's more transparent than you might think. Yeah. And I think every artist feels like they're getting away with something every time they have success. And if you don't, then I, I feel like you're doing it wrong. And Chris always pointed that out. And I think there's people like that around us all that deserve that, like, hey, we're at an age where you can say it online and you could put that little at symbol up there mm-hmm. or that you slash <laughs> user mm-hmm. and you can you can tell them how they changed your life. You can tell them how they affected you. And I think it's it's the beauty side of the Internet and this like connected world that we live in. And I still find that fascinating. I still find so much like inspiration and joy in it. J- just like I did growing up hitting, you know, turning on the, the dial, turn the dial, the 97.3. I want to listen to some oldies radio and just have a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, those are all the questions I have for you. You know, I, I want to let you know, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and also thank you for everything you guys do for Alaska. Oh, I don't, I don't think we could not do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Alaskans don't roll like that, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, I don't know. I know I've said it to you enough during this conversation, but yeah, none of this would have been possible without Alaska. I mean, none of it. I'm I'm looking forward to the moment that Zoe and I can come up to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And Zoe and Francis and I can get a place out there and spend more time. And that's that's the future of this group to be is I want to show up and play the bars. Mm-hmm. You know, the small clubs and I, I just kind of looked back at everything and went, I think we have everything that we kind of set out to do. Like, can I get back to the, like, the, the fun stuff now? Yeah. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors. Mm-hmm.